This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays, with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. It's Natterdays. They're going to run and get that boot. The Arkansas Razorbacks have completed the dream season. A baseball team that's on the way back, a college world title. Stadium. I almost got fired because I went Willie the boss after I had a little too much sauce. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Eddie in Clarksville is phone on. I don't think we can get the weekend started. I don't think we can get this super regional started until we hear from Eddie in Clarksville. Eddie, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. And good morning to the whole nation. If you would allow me, gentlemen, I'd like to start this morning by ringing the bell. And I mean literally ringing the bell. Listen to this, gentlemen. (laughs) And the bell is going to be ringing in less than 28 and a half hours. And I'm addressing this again, this baseball lineup. And uh, you better bring your hit because, as I said the other day, the ringing of the bell has been used as many sporting events for over a century or so. And so it's, it signals the beginning of a fight, a rumble. I call the bomb rumble. And it's fixing to take place at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. The question is, are you going to step up and answer the bell? Because the whole nation is coming from all over the state to call you and to see what Eddie from Clarksville calls baseball hog the line. Let's go over the gradients uh, real quickly again. Please remind me. One of them's your hitting. Second, your pitching. It's your base stealing. And it's your infielding. We have to play air free ball. Make no mistake about it. This series is going to be a fight. Make no mistake about it, this opponent is a heavyweight in the SEC Western Division, and they're coming in here to knock you out. The question is, are you going to counterpunch them? And how do you counterpunch them? Not with your fist, with your baseball mojo. Hold the light. I'll see you tomorrow morning, and I'm ringing the bell. I'd like to ring the bell to get this fight started. Eddie, tell if me. If you take the fight, gentlemen, the whistle is going to be blowing back to Omaha. And what is your purpose again? To put that college World Series title aboard the whole train and bring it back to the fans at Bob Stadium. Thank you for taking my call this morning. Eddie, please tell me you're going to be at these games. Please tell me you have a ticket. You're ready to go. You're ready to ring the bell t- tomorrow at 11. I've got my ticket. Good. I've got my, I've got my bells, and I'm bringing a whistle. And the whistle is going to be blowing a whole this series. All right. Starting tomorrow at 11 a.m. Right. For the whole nation, I'll see you there. All right, great. I, it would just be criminal if this series went off this weekend and Eddie and Clarksville wasn't in Baumwalker Stadium. Yeah. That just wouldn't be right. Have you seen Eddie before? I, I've seen him on TV. I have not met Eddie in person. Okay. I didn't. Have I haven't you? either. No, I, I've just seen him. On I've TV. only met his Kim folk. I, I knew you had had worked with them or been around yeah. them in one of your previous engagements. We'll call it. Yeah. All right. 
Let's go to Wayne, who's in Fort Smith. Wayne, good morning. Good morning, guys. Man, that dude is wild. Hey, I think uh, you're. Uh, I think you're toning it down there a little bit. Your water, man. Down. Tell you what. Woo! So you better bring it. It's I hard, mean, Wayne, hard. he set the bar here for you. You can't just. It is hard to come in after that. Well, you yeah, mean, I, I, I can really put you is. back I, on hold if you want me to put you back man, on. Hold. Hey, uh, he's adrenaline rush, and I'm. Uh, I guess I'm gonna come in like a Xanax because uh, <laughs> I'm gonna talk football recruiting. All right. Take a hard right, left uh, on us here, huh? Yes, yes. Hey, uh, I've been hearing the Hogs been making top fives for a bunch of uh, a bunch of high end recruits. Have y'all uh, any of your any of your recruiting gurus? Are they feeling good on any of these guys? Well, I mean, uh, that, it, that's the thing. Everybody, listen. Thank you. That's the thing. Thanks for the call. That's the problem with recruiting. Everybody narrows it down from. I'm gonna give you know I'm gonna, tonight at eight o'clock on Twitter. I'm gonna release my top fifteen. <laughs> and they right. narrow it down to their top 12. And then a week later, it's their top 10. And, you know, I don't know how they go about this process. To me, that's one of the most annoying things about covering recruiting. Now, and Wayne, you're right. There's a lot of athletes that have you in their top five. But how much stock do you put in when some of these guys who are four and five star athletes, like you talk, have Arkansas in there, which is good to be in the mix, but also teams that are perennially ahead of you in the SEC. And these guys aren't in-state talent. You know, I, I just can't get overly excited when you're in the top five with, along with LSU, A and M, and Alabama. Yeah, I see, I see that side of it because yeah, it's tough whenever a kid goes. Here goes my top five: Texas A and M, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas. Yeah, I mean it's good to be in that company, but yeah, how many of those just, are you going to get? But it's one of those that that. A few years ago, you weren't in their top five, so you had zero percent chance to get any of them. Uh, and so, you know, that's just kind of how I look at it. You have to be on these kids. You have to offer a lot of these kids, and you have to make it to uh, to the top five to have a chance. And that's the one thing that's that's going to be the difference moving forward in basketball and football is that both of these guys aren't afraid of going after the top kids in the country. All right. Hey, are you a, uh, a professional when it comes to transportation? You, you, you have driven for a living. You are a pro at, at driving a truck with frozen and refrigerated goods. If, uh, if that's on your resume, they're looking for you at the Brent Higgins Trucking Company, company with insurance, get you home on a regular basis because they deliver to and from all parts of the United States, but mainly uh, right here in our part of the country, Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, all places they have regular uh, routes and customers in. So if you're looking for a new place to drive for, a new employer, Brent Higgins Trucking is looking for you where you're a name, not just a number. You can call them at 479-997-2366 or online at brenthiggins.trucking.com. All right. Earlier this week, Matt Hobbs joined us. And Arkansas's pitching coach just, just arrived this year with a great pitching staff. Obviously, Isaiah Campbell has been the shining star and uh, obviously going to be the, the guy you lean on the most to, to get this series started right tomorrow at 11 a.m. Um, one thing with Isaiah Campbell, um, obviously drafted high in, in this draft and has really set the tone for this. Uh, but you look around the SEC, he, he wasn't selected all-team all first SEC, and, and you look at the strength of the SEC. One thing that caught piqued my interest or, or just reminded us of how strong this league is is something Matt Hobbs was reminded of when he was at the at the SEC tournament and uh, just something from that interview earlier we talked about the strength of this league and going into this weekend and super regionals and six SEC teams still alive and a lot of from the west 
you got to think about how tough is that SEC tournament? It was something Matt Hobbs was thinking about a couple of weeks ago. We were getting ready to play, you know, the last game we played there in Hoover against Ole Miss, and my wife called me and she said, hey, do you realize that there's five teams in the top, uh, I think it was in the top ten that we're playing <laughs> exactly. in Hoover still? And I just kind of like stepped back. I was like, man, this conference is like eating an elephant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you look, you got Arkansas, obviously, you got Ole Miss, obviously, this weekend. Auburn's still alive, LSU's still alive, all coming out of out of the West. Vanderbilt's still going uh, this week. I mean, it, you just look around this league, and as we've said for, for, for a long time, if you went to Hoover and tried to win that tournament, that's a harder ask in that period of time with the pitching rotations in the format than I think probably getting to Omaha and winning that thing. Oh, for as far sure. As just actually trying to if, do it if not that you're trying not that any of those teams are, are there but if all eight or all 12 of those teams that, that got to hoover were trying to win that as much as they were, were trying to win the national that'd be the hardest thing in, maybe in sports to win yeah i mean because what else in, uh, there aren't very many things in sports where just like you said where you're where you're having to face four teams in the top you know 10 just assuming that you're the fifth team that's in the top 10 so yeah, that's a hard ask. I also think that that um, the conference, and as difficult as it is, that's why people have so much success in the postseason because when you get to the postseason, it's easier than your conference slate. Yeah. For for a lot of these teams, it's, it's easier to make it to a super regional or it's even easier to make it to Omaha than it is to win the conference. I mean, it, it, and it's just, you know, back in the day, there was – it, when the SEC only allowed eight teams in the SEC tournament, there would often be times where nine and sometimes on a rare occasion ten would get in the NCAA tournament. It's harder to make the SEC tournament. Now there's d- different format. Only the bottom two teams are left out. Generally, you know, all you know, ten ten this year of the twelve that got in the SEC tournament got into the NCAA tournament. It's just, I think this is the sport that the SEC may be best at is baseball. Year in, year out. No question. I mean, everybody thinks it's football. No everybody question. talks about you know, basketball's had a surge. There's some 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 women's sports that they're nationally very competitive at. Oh well now, but, now, now. But I'm now, telling I'm you I'm not speaking on the out of out of the three main sports that we focus on. Right. Basketball, football, and but baseball. I, you know, women's basketball, this league is very good. But I think baseball may be chief amongst all of them. In any sport that this league sponsors. Just look at what they do year in, year out. At one point this season, you had 11 teams in the top 25. 11 out of 14. Everybody. You can't you can't say that about SEC football. Everyone gravitates towards SEC football in terms of the dominance yeah. it's had. But if you look at SEC baseball, the number of so, teams that have won a national championship, won the SEC tournament, it's far more diverse than the SEC football actually yeah. is. Is it because of weather? Because teams in other parts of the country, you know, the, the weather gives an advantage to southern schools and the SEC has the money, and they got the better coaches because they have the money, and they got the better stadiums because they have the money. I mean, what is it? That that isn't all of it, because the Pac-12 has some good weather, and they got some money out there. The ACC has a few schools that are consistent. I, but why is the SEC so dumb? What is the the secret ingredient behind all of that? I think I mean weather's a huge factor because yeah. you mentioned the schools. I mean up north, you, I mean it's I amazing. Know, Michigan's still playing this weekend, right? I mean that's an that's an inherent factor that you just automatically have. Number two would be the fact. I mean you look at some of the history. LSU's been a dominant program for mm-hmm. some time. You've had a couple of the other schools that have come on as of late. Number three, we always talk about this. It's money. 
the fact that the SEC yeah. is not only invested in football, basketball, but baseball as well. You look at Dooley Noble over at Mississippi State, Swayze, Box, like all these baseball stadiums. There's some of these other schools that have never played in the caliber of a, a stadium like this. The SEC just is, has gained so much from the SEC network, and that's kind of spread out amongst the other sports as well. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays, a light lager brewed with a phenomenal strawberry lemonade flavor that's perfect for bringing the fun to every occasion. The new Natural Light Natterdays. Touchdown, home! Earlier this week, the NCAA and the Basketball Rules Committee uh, released 20 new rule changes for the upcoming college basketball season. We talked about it earlier this week, but Nick's in here, and I want to get some of your thoughts on these rule changes. I handed them to you a moment ago, and obviously the one everyone's focusing on is the change in the three-point line, because visually, you're going to notice that. The the markings on the floor are changing, and the, the line's moving back. It's, it's a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on the part of the floor, but it's going to what is known as the international line. I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with what the international line is. This has been tested in NIT games. Um, we've been talking about the fact that college basketball has been trying to increase scoring. Right. So how does it make sense to push the three-point line back? Um, that's one line of conversation. The NCAA and the rules committee says, hey, we want to push it back to push defenders out further to free up more space in the lane, trying to get players out of the lane that are defenders. As a shooter, as an offensive player, moving that line back from 20 feet 9 inches to just over 21 feet, um, how big of an, ef- of an effect is that on you as a shooter? No, so I've seen it this summer because this summer on the EYBL circuit, they moved the line back Mm -hmm. and they moved it to the international line and you know on on the court and then if you're just looking at kids and their percentages now of course in high school they're not playing against as talented of teams but you just look at percentages percentages are 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 lower because just like i told you earlier you don't walk right up to the three-point line and put your toes as close to the three-point line and spot up and get ready to hit a shot mm -hmm. that just doesn't happen what ends up happening is you end up being somewhere behind a three-point line. So the further that that thing gets pushed back, that means the closer you get to shooting it from half court. Now, of course, that's a little extreme, but I do think that that it's going to uh, affect um, percentages. And I know that they did use it during the NIT, but that's that's over what you know right. one or two games versus being over thirty games in the regular season. So I don't know how it's going to help or hurt Arkansas moving forward because I still don't think we know what type of team Musselman's going to put yeah, well, together while he's here at Arkansas. I mean, that's the, that's really what we're driving at. How does this affect Isaiah Joe? Yeah. How does this affect yeah, Mason well, Jones? How does it, I mean, the guys that Arkansas is counting on. Right. Who's the, who's the three-point shooter for Arkansas team? Well, it's it's Isaiah Joe. Right. So how does this affect him, Isaiah Joe? And for him, I don't think that, that it's going to be as big of a deal because he's, he's a shooter that has – a lot of size, and he has a lot of range. And he's already, I mean, for him, it's just its just getting it off. It's not one of those things that, that okay, well, he needs to be close to the three-point line. I think that this is going to affect more players like Desi Seals or if you see bigs that try to stretch the court that already don't have a ton of range. And the three-point line right now is probably 
pushing their range a little bit to the limit. I think it's going to. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to deter them from shooting as many threes as they have been. You've looked through some of these other rule changes. Uh, yeah. Any what else jumps out to you that you think will have a material impact on the game? Honestly, the two most are the biggest thing that we complain about about the game of basketball is what the officials mm-hmm. and them getting calls right and wrong. And so, honestly, I saw the three-point deal because everybody was just preaching about it and everybody was posting about it. But, you know, I was I was scrolling through the rules looking for the instant replay. And, and there's a few changes there. Yes, and, and you know, those are probably – those are probably the things that that I'm going to pay more attention to. And I'm actually going to know the rule because how many times, and, and I've been guilty of this, how many times have I been like, go to the monitor. Why don't you go look? Well, you can't. <laughs> and I'm just complaining about right. the referee not going to the monitor, and then I don't find out until the next day, until either I'm in here with you or I'm listening to the morning rush, and you bring up, well, you know, it's in the rules that you can't go to the monitor right. at this certain time right because there's a lot of a lot of rules involving the use of the monitor that only apply in the final two minutes of regulation or the last two minutes of overtime uh new one that's been added basket interference goaltending yeah which are two separate violations by the way people think they're the same thing they're not um that is now reviewable inside the last two minutes of regulation and overtime if a call is made on the floor this is a huge deal i think because i think it's very difficult particularly when the game is on the line. I think it's difficult at any point in the game to get the borderline. The obvious basket interference, those are easy. The borderline, did he actually touch it? Did he not touch it? Did he get a fingertip on it? I mean, because it's, it's, it's like being out of bounds. You either did or you didn't. But it's very difficult for an official who might be standing at the 28-foot mark or the center official who is free throw line extended to know, a thousand percent know on that marginal play and the baseline official or the lead official is generally no help unless it's transitioning their way out wide so you really only got two of the three that could even help on this play it's not the obvious ones that that you need to go look at it's it's these ones that you know uh, did did he was going up to maybe get a potential rebound and his hand brushed the ball while it was on the cylinder well you can't see that from floor level when the ball is elevated at 10 feet, but there's a camera right behind the backboard. Right. And now the, the, the people at home are like, how could he miss that? How could, yeah. Well, I mean, you got a much better look. Right. Now replay will be allowed to uh, to be used when a call is made on the floor. Yeah, I think um, a lot of this is, gonna ha- is going to be determined by, and you see officials now, officials will make not necessarily the right or wrong call. They'll make the call that allows them to go to the monitor. Mm-hmm. And what allows you to get the play right. Right. And the better officials do that. And I don't mind that. But then here's what happens with that. There was somebody playing in the NCAA tournament and it seemed like the last two minutes took 17 hours. Mm -hmm. And I I can't remember if it was Auburn playing against somebody. But anyway, the last two minutes took so long because every call was made like it was a call so they could go and review it and go to the monitor. And, And it may even been. An NBA game. I don't mind. I don't mind them actually doing that because we're going to complain either way. All right. So I'd rather be complaining about the game taking too long, but they're getting every right. call. Uh, they're getting every call correct. One of the other more noticeable rule changes for this year in college basketball: offensive rebounds, staying front court, 
no longer resetting to 30 seconds. What is it, 20? Going to be 20. Yeah. You get 30, obviously, when you're going to the other end of the floor because you need the 10 seconds to cross half court. To cross court. half court, yeah. So now, resets, which we've seen resets on fouls be reset to 20 in the last couple of seasons. Now it's just a live ball rebound reset to 20. Part of the del- reason is everyone had to get their equipment, the shot clock equipment, you know, with Dactronics or whoever your scoreboard provider is, configured and updated to the point where you could actually do this on the fly, on the ready. Um, you say, well, what's the big deal with that? It's not a big deal till there's 38 seconds left to go in the game and you get an offensive board. You know, where it changed to me, it, the big change is going to be the end of game strategy. This should add more possessions throughout the game by a few possessions. But to me, Nick, I see teams and coaches really having to rethink how they may play things out in the well, last minute. Well, and you and don't where, need. And now a rebound is going to be even more critical in the last minute. And and because of what you said, you don't need 30 more seconds after you've already well, had ten, the ball. You're, you're getting an additional 10 yeah, seconds yeah. under the previous rules. Now, that 10 seconds to get it across half court, you're not getting back. Right, yeah. I thought I thought that, that was a, a good ch- change. I was hoping to see uh, the eight seconds cross half court because that's a, a rule that they've implemented in the – Rather than 10. Right. Okay. In the EYBL because I think that that also increases the scoring because because it, it's – it's it's one of those the one thing that I always agree with Mike Anderson on, and it's it's just like sales. Mike was like, "Hey, it doesn't matter if we're shooting, you know, three or four percent less than our opponent. If if as a team we're shooting forty five percent and our opponent's shooting forty eight percent, that's fine because Mike's whole deal was we're going to get up twenty five more shots than they are, and I've always agreed with him." On that theory, I think the more that you speed the game up, I know people think it's going to get sloppy, but I think that means the more shots you get up and then the more shots you get up, the more points you're probably going to yeah. score. Last one, uh, the rule changes that didn't come into effect. Four quarters in men's basketball. College men's basketball is still the only game to be played in yeah. halves. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I don't – I've I've heard Jimmy Dykes talk about it a, a lot. I'm just, I'm just of the belief there's no way that you can convince me Every other level, and even the same level, but on the girl side, it's better with four quarters. But this is the only level, and on the boy side, that's not better with four quarters. And you say, well, it's the same number of minutes. How you package it? What does it matter? Well, the deal is about the foul count and resetting the foul count at the right. end of the quarters, like they do at the other levels, right? Where it takes away one and ones, one and one, and you just shoot two after the five or whatever in each quarter. Um, the pushback or the apprehension I've been told by someone that's on the rules committee is it's television. It's about revenue. It, and it is somewhat about being different and standing apart. But it's really about you have four media timeouts under 16, 12, 8, and 4. Uh, you've got the called timeouts that the coaches get as well. The first called timeout of the second half is always a media. And trying to figure out how to package that all in. At the same time, ESPN and all the media partners are trying to figure out how to make every game two hours. Start to finish, two hours. You know, So that's the pushback is television really ultimately doesn't want it in quarters because they feel like they can package the game into a two-hour box easier with the way it is now for men's basketball, which at the college level, let's face it, college men's basketball is the only basketball that's making any money for these universities. 
Well, as far as television revenue, right? And if 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 that's the case, and the TV people don't want it, then it's not gonna happen. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast, brought to you by the all new Natural Light Natterdays, the new beer of the summer with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. Natterdays, fun for every occasion. They won't catch him. Alex Collins is gonna take it all the way to the house. Scott Tabor, once upon a time, pitched in the College World Series. He joins every Friday, former Razorback pitcher here on the Morning Rush. Scott, big weekend. Arkansas and Ole Miss will play for the sixth and seventh and perhaps an eighth time this year. Ole Miss has won three of the five this year, three of those back in March. Does it matter what's happened previously this year, particularly when three of those five games occurred at the end of March? Well, it kind of does and it doesn't. You know, they're they're so familiar with each other, the pitching, the hitting. We know their tendencies, they know our tendencies. And so really, now it comes down to just pure baseball. It's really, uh, it's kind of like in, in the minor league organizations, you play teams, you know, 10, 12 times a year. You know all their personnel. You know when to shift your guys around a little bit. You know who you can pitch inside and who you can't. Uh, so it's going to come down to just pure baseball this weekend. Whoever does little things right are going to come out on top. Phil Elson did some research on this. Ty shared it with me. Uh, uh, 45 total innings at this point between these two teams so far this year. Arkansas led for 25 of those innings. Ole Miss has led for seven. Uh, now, when you break that down by innings, uh, innings one through four, the Hogs have outscored Ole Miss 13 to five. Uh, innings five through nine, Ole Miss has scored outscored the Hogs 19 to seven and have won right. three of those five games. W- what do you make of that research that Phil did? And uh, how does Arkansas change? Obviously, those those closing innings are the most important. How does Arkansas change that for this weekend? Well, you want the obvious answer? Our, our bullpen, bullpen kind of needs yeah. to step it up a little bit. <laughs> the bullpen's got to be better. <laughs> you kind of tossed that one out there for yeah. me, so I'll, yeah. I'll take well, it. Well, that's why uh, that's why we have a pitcher on to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I, I know. It's uh, but you know you have to credit their their yeah. guys. Their guys don't ever give up. They're behind. They're a lot like they're built a lot like Arkansas. And if you remember. Back earlier at the beginning of the year, but preseason, uh, they were picked. I think they were picked in the top ten. Uh, Arkansas, we were we were not. You know, we were they were ranked ahead of us before anybody even started playing. Uh, injuries happen during the season, and things sometimes just don't go the way you want. But I, it looks like Ole Miss is kind of coming to the point to where where they where everybody thought they'd be at the beginning of the season. They're a very resilient team. So was Arkansas. Arkansas is is proving people wrong in a lot of ways. Uh, we reloaded rather than. That happened to rebuild, and it's uh, a good decision to be in. So it, it'll just come down to the bullpen. You know, we have a good bullpen, and, and pitchers change during the course of the year. Pitchers mature, pitchers get a little bit better if they can stay healthy. And, and Van Horn uh, has done a very, very good job, and Hobbs has done a great job keeping our kids healthy this year. Scott Tabor with us here on the Morning Rush. Casey Murphy's been such a big part of this season, but he slumped kind of going into postseason play. Uh, what what kind of Casey Murphy are we going to see? Is he starting to break out? He had a hit and, and broke that streak. Um, what do you expect to see from him, particularly at the plate this weekend? Well, I don't think Casey Murphy's even going to play this year. I think they're going to put Casey Martin. Casey Martin, I'm sorry. Casey Martin. I'm, I'm brain dead over here. Casey <laughs> Martin. Me, I'm, going, I'm sorry. Casey Murphy. Casey Martin. Uh, Casey, I know I'm you're talking about. brain dead. Gigs, yeah. No, he's just got to keep grinding. You know, it, you can almost see just a little – He's pushing a little bit, and that's natural for any ball player, especially a great athlete like Casey. Uh, and it's hopefully this weekend he'll just relax a little bit and, and start seeing the ball because when he's seeing the ball, uh, he's unstoppable. And once he gets on base, you know he's almost a guaranteed run to, run to score. Uh, you don't know baseball's that yeah. way. He could he could 
he could just come out like a crazy man this weekend or, or continue to slump and we win and then break out in, the, in Omaha. You just don't know. But, but we have proven that we, we don't depend on him. You know, we have eight other guys in the lineup that are hitting the ball pretty well. So, uh, uh, hopefully he'll come out at it and, and he'll be he'll be he'll be Casey Murphy. Yeah, Martin. Uh, Martin. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still <laughs> watch this anyway. I don't know what get things in your head you can't get them out. I was watching Dave talk about no. Martin earlier, and now I'll get it wrong every time. I was watching him uh, on HitThatLine.com talking about about Casey's approach at the plate and how he really hadn't changed anything. His demeanor in the in the clubhouse hasn't changed. He hadn't really been sulking. Um, basically his attitude has been good through this hitting slump. Um, I was watching that video last night. How important is, is that we, we hear about you know, the, the word approach at the plate all the time used, uh, take us more inside that conversation and how, when you are, you know, on the struggle bus a little bit, you, you know, the way you're thinking about it, whether you're sulking, whether you've down in the dumps about it or whether your attitude's still up is uh, a big part of what coaches are looking at of how you're going to come out of it. Now, do you want it from a pitcher's side or do you want it from a hitter's side? Well, let's go hitter's side. <laughs> okay. Because the pitcher's side, it's really easy. I know a guy's in a slump, and I know he's he's having trouble with this or that. It's like picking a scab. I'm just going to pick it to death until he just goes crying back to the dugout. On the hitter's side, you, you know, I think that's one of the strengths of this whole team uh, is their, their mental approach. I think they they just have such great – and you can see it. You can see it in their eyes. There's no give up. There's no I surrender. I'm going to swing at the first three pitches and go sit down. Sometimes – with Martin, it looks like that. It looks like he's going to swing at anything you throw, uh, which is why they're leaving breaking stuff out of the zone, you know, because they know he's chasing, because he's trying to get out of the slump. And 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 his his approach, his demeanor, you know, we're not in the clubhouse, we don't see it, and we're also not in his head. Uh, I played with with a guy that was a, one of the best hitters I've ever seen, and he was like in a two for thirty seven slump, and he was outwardly outwardly just in a frenzy, and then he just he just kept grinding and kept grinding and kept grinding and he came out of it. All of a sudden he got a hit here and a hit there. And I think it kind of started off with a handle shot over the shortstop's head. Uh, and then it turned into something just crazy. Then he went on a tear for you know, 20 games in a row. So you, you just don't know on those things. And inside his head and inside his body, he may be saying one thing and seeing other things, but, but you can, you can kind of watch. And I think the kids around him, uh, are, are a calming influence on them. You know, they're very, they all seem to be very encouraging. Nobody's down on him and, you don't read stuff like he needs to be pulled out of the, of the lineup and put somebody else in. He's too valuable. So I think he knows his value. He knows his worth and he knows his role. And I'd like to see him do some other things to try to get on base, maybe drop a few bunts or, or you know, take a little bit more, but, but we'll just see how it goes. Five of these eight super regionals involve SEC teams. Duke and North Carolina are going to, uh, to play in Nashville. Of course, we know Arkansas and Ole Miss is in Fayetteville. Auburn and North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Uh, Stanford's going to visit Starkville to take on Mississippi State. Florida State and LSU, somewhat of a surprise by the way Georgia got beat up. That game's those, that series going to be in Baton Rouge. Uh, which of these uh, series involving SEC teams, other than the Arkansas Ole Miss series, interest you the I most? That, I, uh, the, the only other team I'm really interested in watching is Vanderbilt and Duke. I think Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt is just fantastic. Uh, they have some hitters. I've never seen a Vanderbilt team built the way are they the way they are on hitting. They've always been great in pitching. Why they get so many great pitchers there, I, I can't figure it out. But they uh, their pitching has always been fantastic, and they've got great arms again this year. 
but they're hitting you know up and down the lineup. But JJ Blade is just fantastic, and I think they showed in the draft they had some kids that went pretty high. Uh, they're the team. They're the team I'd like to see. I haven't seen Duke play, uh, but Duke. I guess Duke beat North Carolina. Is that who they did beat no, to get North, there? No, North Carolina's playing Auburn. Duke. Uh, and now you put me on the spot. Who who'd they beat? Yeah, I think I'm they sorry. Beat, and when that Texas A&M. Yeah, they, they and beat Texas A&M. Okay, West, okay. Virginia, yeah. That, yeah, West Virginia. West Virginia is the okay. Morgantown Virginia. Regional. That's exactly right. Yeah, so they well, they came out of a pretty tough regional, and, and so they've got a, they've got a stout team. Yeah. I'd like to see that that play out. That would be a, be a fantastic series to watch. I mean, we've talked about the strength of the West, but you just look at the schedule this week and you see all these teams from the West. Yeah. I mean, obviously right. the SEC right. is going to get one spot for sure with Arkansas playing Ole Miss this weekend. I, I think it's – I think there's a likelihood that the SEC ends up with like four teams in the College World Series. I don't, I, you know, if Arkansas and Ole Miss weren't playing each other, I could see five or six. Mm-hmm. You know, I, just, I hated to see them put two SEC teams against each other, but when you have that many that are competing in you know, regionals, there's only so many ways you can do it. And so I, um, it's just the strength of the, of the league, yeah. you know, and, and I think that playing that, that schedule all season long really, really, really prepares you for the postseason. Uh, so it's so when now he goes you want to play somebody else and now you don't care how good they are because what look at what you've been playing every weekend so it's uh, you know steel strength and steel. All right, who would Coach Tabor start in game two? We know Isaiah Campbell is going uh, tomorrow at eleven. Who would get the ball on Sunday? Would it be Wicklander or Nolan? Nolan? Nope, I'd go Connor Nolan. All right, why? You know, he is just right or lefty. It doesn't even matter. Connor Connor is showing. Uh, I think he has really matured as a pitcher. You know, he, he kind of went through the whole process. You knew he had uh, you knew he had a great arm. You knew he had good stuff. But the coaches saw that immediately. He had great work ethic. His his head was on right. He seemed like a bulldog. He had an outing or two where he was he was very human. Uh, he had one outing. I don't think he even got an out. And that's very frustrating and very uh, it makes you kind of rethink things as a as a pitcher and as a player uh, and as an athlete and a competitor in general. It makes you rethink the whole world. Everybody goes, well, maybe maybe he's just not ready. Well. Mentally, you're not as a as a freshman coming in. The, the difference between high school and college is is different. Uh, you throw a lot of strikes in high school with the stuff he's got. You get a lot of outs. You throw the same amount of strikes in, in, in D1 college, especially the SEC, and you're going to have some guys that are going to just barrel it up and, and take it off the wall. And you can't really figure that out mentally until you you've gone through it and you go, you know what? I've still got good stuff. You know, it's still 60 feet six inches to home plate. I've still got to throw my stuff. And he's done that. He varied from it. You saw when he got in trouble early. Uh, earlier in the season was, was when he was having some control problems. He wasn't having control problems. He was having confidence issues. The ball just doesn't go right where you want it. When you've seen it in your mind, you've seen it get hit off the wall a few times, it, it's hard to come back to, to, I know this is a good pitch. I'm just throwing the word needs, where it needs to be thrown. So he's come around and made the whole circle, and, and now he throws strikes. He has confidence in the guys behind him, confidence in his catcher. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's the guy. A uh, couple key. We'll get you out of here on this. Couple of keys for Arkansas this weekend to, to win the series. Real simple question. Number one, bullpen. Well, actually, num- number one, play clean. If they play clean baseball, they always have a chance. Uh, pitchers are throwing strikes. The infielders are catching balls. Fly balls are getting run down. We don't make any mental errors on the bases. That's good clean baseball. Uh, number two would be the bullpen. Uh, I think our pitching, our starting pitching, is going to be what it has been all year. And then I'll get into the bullpen, and I think at the bullpen, I think at Cops and, and Costy Shock and, and the crew, I think if they come through and, and do what they can do, I think we'll come out ahead. And, and they'll, all, they'll all be – I don't see any blowouts. You know, all the games with Ole Miss have been – I think we had one that kind of got away from us, but it was uh, – all games have been close. 
You know, so it's the little things that we do, and if we do those right, I think we'll come out ahead. I think Fayetteville, playing in Fayetteville will, will be the difference. be a huge surprise, probably, no matter how this goes, not to be playing Monday, wouldn't it? Uh, I'd like to not be playing Monday. I, I understand yeah. what you'd like, but I just think this thing is so even. I don't know how I, I either team I could, right. could yep. not win a game. And when it gets to that third game, it's it's kind of, yeah, I think, you know, Wicklander, uh, his last outing was a confidence builder. He he had a few stumbles earlier in the year where he was going through the same thing. So he's, you know, he's a freshman. You hate to keep bringing it up. He's a freshman. He's not really a, uh, a freshman anymore. He's kind of a freshman and a half. So he's, uh, I think mentally and emotionally, I think he's in a good place. So I, I like our chances in game three. All right, former Razorback Scott Tabor. He joins us every Friday during baseball season. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you uh, hopefully you next Friday about we'll Arkansas's game either we'll Saturday talking. or Sunday in Omaha. <laughs> That's right. All right, brother. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays, the new beer of the summer. If you're one of the 16 fan bases that still have something to root for, you're probably all in. I don't know how many casual college baseball fans or college baseball fans are out there that will watch once their team is out. I I think that's the majority of college baseball fans. You, you don't just watch to watch. But today it all gets underway um, at 2 o'clock out in Lubbock, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech at 2 o'clock today. 5 o'clock, Duke and Vanderbilt, and the first SEC team is up. At 8 o'clock, it's Michigan and UCLA, and then East Carolina and Louisville. Is this right? It says 11 p.m. These have to be Eastern times, right? I, they, I changed them. No, they're Central. They're starting the game in Louisville at 11 o'clock? That Unless can't they be right. the p.m. wrong. That p.m. has to be wrong. There's no way they're doing that. Got it that. from D1 Baseball. Look it up again. Look that up. That, that, this can't, what, I'm, what I got in my hand here cannot be right. What time the Louisville game starts? Anyway, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Any of those jump out at you? We asked Scott Tabor about that. Duke and Vanderbilt is one that he's kind of zeroed in on. You know, Vanderbilt, after making a deep run in the SEC tournament, can they make a run back to? Do they have what it takes to get back to the College World Series and make a run there as well? I, I, I think Vanderbilt's an interesting watch. And UCLA struggled in their regional to get out of there and even be alive for this weekend, they take on Michigan. Not exactly a powerhouse in college baseball. Yeah, it's a, okay. It's a.m. because okay. it was. Uh, I changed right it from Eastern, right. and it was at twelve p.m. So up first is Louisville and East Carolina. Yeah. I, that didn't look right to me. So, all right. So Louisville and East Carolina play at eleven this morning. Then the game at two. So there's eleven, two, five, and eight o'clock games today. So, yeah, I think the Bandy game is 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 clearly the one that jumps off the page because it is. Um, an SEC team, and you want to see how many SEC teams can make it to uh, to Omaha. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, then tomorrow, of course, Arkansas kicks it off at 11 a.m. against Ole Miss. Uh, there's another 11 a.m. game, uh, Auburn and North Carolina, being played at the same time. Arkansas on ESPN, Auburn, North Carolina on ESPN two. Another round of games at two o'clock. We'll see Mississippi State for the first time. They take on Stanford. To me, that one's interesting because that's two titans in college baseball i mean mississippi state's been a powerhouse stanford's been a powerhouse for years i think you know just from a name game if there is such a thing in college baseball stanford and mississippi state fits that bill thank you i mean i'm not going to try and give you a a bunch of college baseball knowledge i usually relate to phil but i mean yeah mississippi state's got a good baseball team seems like jake mangum's been there for 20 years and you can tell by every time he gets on a broadcast that Whichever broadcast team is calling, they just absolutely lavish him with love. 
Mississippi State, I mean, they came into a bomb stadium this year, lost 3-0, but that's a really good baseball team. And if Arkansas were to meet them in the College World Series, they'd give them some competition because that's one of the better teams in the if SEC. You're, if, you're, if you're a Razorback fan, though, are you cheering for other SEC teams to 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 get to the to get to Omaha because they're in the SEC, or are you cheering for? Because clearly, we just talked about how the SEC it'd be more difficult beating more SEC teams in Omaha if you're trying to win a national championship. Yeah, I think you want to avoid Vanderbilt at all costs, and luckily they're on the other side of the bracket, so you wouldn't have to face them until the College World Series final. But I'm telling you guys, uh, just based on what Phil's been telling me, just watching them lately, LSU is getting hot at the right time. Well, and I know they get Florida State this weekend, and Mike Martin's last year. That is a club with the not, with the least amount of success you've had of anyone since 2011. Yeah. I mean, I, you you hadn't beat them since 2011 until this year in the series. You don't want to play LSU in the College World totally Series. Totally expect to see LSU in Omaha. Over Florida, you think they're going to beat Florida State in Baton Rouge this weekend? <laughs> in Baton Rouge, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I, I think that's going to be good. I know Florida State is in. Then there, there's two more Titans. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, if you're trying to find the big names that have had postseason success. What have we look up yet? Florida State's been to 15 College World Series. Yeah. And, you know, we know about LSU's success. So, I mean, yeah, to me, they're, the Stanford, Mississippi State, and the Florida State LSU have, have, have the name appeal from teams that you traditionally get to see in Omaha. Those are some, 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 some names that seem to be there more often than not. And not yeah, and I'm now I'm never cheering for LSU though. So no, so no that's one that's one that uh, you don't want to see LSU because of what you just said. Up until this year, you just haven't had a lot of success against them. Yeah, Maneri for whatever reason has something, on, and I don't know. There's a kid from Ashdown named Jaden Hill, who's the number one recruit in this past Arkansas class. I don't. He was injured since like February. I don't know if he's back yet. But one of the reasons that the Tigers have been kind of picking up steam is because they've gotten a little healthier, and that should scare you as an Arkansas fan if you had to meet a fully healthy LSU team in the College World Series. You intrigued it all by Louisville and East Carolina, and I, and I bring that up because it, it seems like all year long when we brought up RPI, where's Arkansas at in the RPI? Well, they've been always behind East Carolina, who's been up there all year long inside the top 10 for sure and top 5 for a lot of the season. Um, in any interest at all in seeing how they do, or or Louisville, who's you know been very good and kind of around you know around these super regionals for several years. So we had Clay Matvick on yesterday, who's going to be calling the Arkansas Ole Miss game this region, mm-hmm. and he talked about how he was actually on call for the Louisville regional, where the closer, who's one of the best in college baseball, got thrown out. His name's escaping me. That being said, for pitchers, you get suspended four games because they're not a position player, because mm-hmm. then. The rotation, and whatnot. So he was suspended for, I believe, game two, game three, and then the first two games of this super regional. So Huge. East Carolina, oh, wow. if they, Louisville's up and they don't have their star closer, East Carolina could come back and win. That's that's a crucial loss for the Cardinals to be in that situation if they were to be up and then lose those games because not having their guy in the closing round. So that's that'll that'll start at eleven o'clock this morning. Four games today. Everybody plays tomorrow. And then you just go from there based on the series that are still going. So 11 o'clock this morning, East Carolina and Louisville on ESPN2. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech on ESPN2 following that at 2 o'clock. Duke and Vanderbilt tonight at 5 o'clock on ESPN2 as well. All these games today are on ESPN2. And UCLA and Michigan will be the late game scheduled for 8 o'clock tonight. Of course, uh, Arkansas kicks it all off tomorrow. It's on various networks tomorrow. Everything is ESPN2 today, as I said. Arkansas on ESPN tomorrow. Other games are on two, and then some of the games are on the U as well. So 
Just look up one of the ESPNs. You're going to find college baseball this weekend. They're going to be on ESPN tomorrow, as you said, ESPNU on Sunday, and if necessary, ESPN2 for the Monday game. All the games today are on two, are on the deuce. Correct. I'm laughing because <laughs> just being a Razorback fan. So you go into a season, you go into a football season thinking every single year, ah, oh, they're going to go to a bowl game. They win two. Go to baseball season thinking, ah, this year's not going to be very good. They're going to be rebuilding. And now, if they don't make it to Omaha, fans are going to feel like it's a disappointment. Yeah. Brought to you by Williams Tractor in Fayetteville, Bobcat of Northwest Arkansas, and Rogers. They got big dog mowers. They got you covered with an industry leading seven year limited warranty. And big dog will take care of you with a price starting at $23.99 or 0% financing for 48 months and zero down with approved credit. You're uh, in the military or a first responder. Ask about the Big Dog Pro- Big Dog Hero program. Ten percent off your next mower. It's at Williams Tractor in Fayetteville and Bobcat of Northwest Arkansas in Rogers. We talked about the hype, the anticipation, uh, how this this series has the feel, guys. That it's like a football weekend. Everybody's setting up tailgates. Uh, tickets are going for way above face value. These are things we don't normally. I mean, we talk about tailgates and people lining up for the hog pen. We don't normally talk about having to pay hundreds of dollars to get into a college baseball game. It's happening this weekend in Fayetteville. A lot of it, too, to me, has to do with it's one thing for all of us to say, you know, the baseball team has a chance every year of winning a national championship. A little of that is, 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 you know, Arkansas fans being Arkansas fans. But being so close last year, I mean, being an out away, a drop away – like people, people really. I mean, every time Arkansas is is in this situation moving forward, I do think people really believe and buy into Arkansas being a, a national champion contender. And I think you're seeing that right now with with attendance. And and you have to say, I mean, Arkansas baseball is one of you know the 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 best attendant games, at, regardless of sport. If you didn't have obligations in life, didn't have wife, kids, job, you know, like responsibilities, <laughs> is this the kind of event you would go camp out for, be there 12, 24 hours in advance? People we saw lining up yesterday for the hog pen, is, does this event excite you? Do you anticipate this that much? Well, what would it take to get you to camp out for a for a sporting event in Fayetteville? I know Nick Mason's not going to camp out for a baseball game, but I know that passionate, like, that's just not your. You're not going to camp yeah, well, out for. Well, a bit. I mean, I mean, I'm not camping out for anything. Uh, He's not won. even an, a one versus two Arkansas Kentucky no, game. No, I'm not. I'm not. If well, I can't, if they, I can't get in the side door somewhere, then then <laughs> then uh, I'm not camping right. out. You for know, anything. most of these venues you got reserved seats, so there's really not the need to camp out. Right. And, and honestly, 95 percent of the seats at Bomb Walker are reserved seats. But the Hog Pen brings in this element. The student section always brings in this element of people lining up to get the best general admission viewpoint. It and, is a and, different level though and Ty can contest this. It's a uh it's a different crowd, a different level of excitement for a baseball game yeah. than there even is for a football or a basketball game. I mean, people have set up tailgates several days ago and getting their spots that that have, you know, reserved parking. I mean, it just again, that's why I go back. It feels like 
you're playing Ole Miss in football, and the Western Division is on the line. Because, I mean, you think about it, if you wanted to go back to the most hyped football game since, then people say, oh, LSU 2014. Like, people thought they had a chance in that game, but it, it's not to the degree of this. It's probably Alabama 2010, as you alluded to. And for basketball, I would say Kentucky 2014. That was a game heading in that you thought you had a chance, and they ended up winning it. But, Tom, to your point, I mean, you're going against a rival. Ole Miss mm-hmm. is a massive rival in baseball. Sure. It's a chance to go to Omaha, and I know that we were giving John a hard time for groaning and moaning about the game being at 11 and then 2 and then possibly 3, but there's a chance to go to Omaha. You're playing a rival, and you hadn't had good success against this team. All that factored in, the fans should be absolutely hype. We had Jack Kinley tell Scotty Borderline and Bob Holder this week. What did he say in so many words? How do you guys feel about not being in the prime time, playing early? You know, prime time is whenever we play. That's all we got to do. <laughs> we got to show up when the first pitch is there, and uh, regardless of when that start time is, we've done it all the rest of the year, and uh, it's nothing that's going to catch us off guard. So, you, you know, I mean, the games are on TV, obviously. You don't have any any doubt this place will be packed at, no you know, 11 a.m. So. No doubt. We always play in prime time. That's that, prime time is whenever we play. Exactly. Yeah. Prime time, baby. And, 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 and that's the approach that I think the team is taking. That's Dave Van Horn's words, I think, spoken to the team coming out through check. You know, I, I think that's the approach this team has taken behind closed doors is forget about the game time. We don't care if it's 11 a.m., p.m., 8, 6, 4, 1, 1. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Prime time is whenever we play. And it's not like they needed enough bulletin board material after last season, how it ended. But that's just another thing that DVH can throw to his guys. You guys aren't, apparently ESPN doesn't think you're worthy enough to play in prime time. So just have this mentality and then we'll go from there. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the Halftime Pod at hitthatline.com.